0: But this morning we're starting in the book of Ephesians. As I look at this text, I, I came across a statement by a commentator by the name of Tony Merida. And he said this about the verses I'm going to preach today. Paul was a theological thoroughbred, and Ephesians 1:3 through 3-14 is sort of like his Belmont stakes. Upon studying this passage, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. The Apostle Paul starts off in verse 3, with a general topic sentence. And then he widens out with phrase after phrase to touch on various redemptive themes without even stopping for a period. I know in our, our text tonight, today and in your Bible you have uh, dividers, punctuation, and, and verses and chapters and all of that, but in the original Greek, This is one long, complex, and glorious sentence that has over 200 words, and it like oozes with this God-centered praise. It's almost as though Paul didn't take a breath. One writer said that this is the most monstrous sentence conglomeration that he's ever found in the Greek language. Paul starts in verse 3 by giving us the big idea of this portion of the text, and it can be summed up with a phrase that I'm using as the title of my message today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Paul is about to break out in a song of praise, much like we did as a church this morning. Verse 3 is so important for us, and here's why. As human beings, we are made for praise. Just look around you and you will find expressions of praise everywhere. Go to a concert and you'll find fans praising or screaming for their favorite music artists. Go to any sports stadium pre-COVID and you'll find screaming fans praising their favorite teams and praising their favorite players, never praising the officials, of course. Go to Home Depot and you'll find men fired up about their latest project. Go to Hobby Lobby and you'll find women fired up about decorating when their husbands finish the project. I'm talking about from consumers praising their favorite stores to television viewers praising their favorite new series to coffee drinkers praising their favorite coffee house. Humanity has never had a problem expressing praise. Ever. Here's where the problem comes in. We often praise earthly things to the exclusion of our eternal God. When in reality, the only one truly worthy of our praise and worship is our God. And so Paul says, blessed or praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why he was so fired up. Because he said, it is God that has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you don't understand this verse, you can't understand the following. Paul says that, that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. That means God doesn't hold back on us. All these spiritual blessings, he said, are in heavenly places. I I think that is referring to the uh, uh, already but not yet aspect of our salvation. Meaning we don't know the full riches of God's blessings until we get to heaven. But God, through his blessings now, gives us a little taste of heaven. And notice how our spiritual blessings are in Christ. That phrase in Christ appears in some form about 11 times in these verses. And here's what it means. That, that it's only through our union with Christ that we have these spiritual blessings. In other words, these blessings are exclusively reserved for the saved. I feel need to stop, and before I go any further in the text, to say something. You cannot know these blessings that I'm about to preach on and elaborate on if you are not in Christ. Christ. That is, if you don't have a personal relationship with God as your Father, with Jesus as the Son, and the Holy Spirit's not dwelling in you because you would never placed your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross for your sins, these blessings don't apply to you. That's bad news, and I know you've heard a lot of bad news lately. So let me give you some good news. You can be in Christ today. You can get saved today. You can get in on these spiritual blessings today. And at the end of the message, I'm going to tell you how. But for those of us who are in Christ, this passage is written to ignite our praise um, in our hearts. Ignite the praise in our hearts that, that I believe should come out of our mouths like it did this morning. And it should be directed to our God from whom all blessings flow. And Paul gives us three reasons in verses 4 through 14 for why we should praise God. And the three reasons, each reason involves one person from the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. He says first we should praise God for our spiritual blessings in the Father. In the Father. Look at verse number four. According as he, that's the Father, hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We have been chosen by the Father. That's the first blessing we have. Now this is an amazing thought. And it's quite theological, but it's beautiful that that God had us in his heart and in his mind before he ever created the world. Even before he created us, God made a decision about us. And here's what he chose. Watch this. He chose that all of us who would choose to be in Christ because it is a personal decision, God doesn't choose for us. He made a predecision that all of those who chose to accept him in salvation would be made holy and blameless in his sight. That's what that verse says. He made a predecision that if anyone would come to him for salvation, he would choose to forgive them, he would choose to forgive them and, and, and receive them and see them as holy and blameless. He made that decision before you were ever born. He didn't make the decision for you to come to him. But he made the decision, number one, to make it possible for you to come to him, to draw you to him. And he made the pre-decision that if anybody at any time for anything would come to him, he would receive them. How's that possible? I mean, we're, whole, we're not holy. We're not blameless pe- people. Why would God choose us and see us as that? Well, it's possible because God said that God chooses us in him, the verse says. Who's him? It's Jesus. It's Christ. In other words, in Christ or through Christ, our blame is removed and his righteousness is given to us upon salvation. So right when we get saved, we have that status. And we can have that confidence that in God's eyes, we are blameless as he sees us through his blameless son. Now that's mind boggling. So mind boggling, I only got two Amen. So I'm certain you didn't say amen because you're thinking about it still. Listen, church, understanding how God chooses to see you as holy through His Son is vitally important to how you live your life. That's why the subtitle of this series is Gospel Truth Leads to Gospel Living. Because in order for you to live out a holy life practically, as we'll talk about in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, you have to first understand the first three chapters, specifically this verse, that you've already been made holy in God's sight. In order for you to live out the gospel, you have to first understand how the gospel has changed and affected your life. Here's what I'm trying to say. You don't live a holy life in order to find favor with God. You live a holy life because you've already found favor with God. We don't go out and try to live blamelessly before the world because we've got to do that in order to go to heaven. No. All we've got to do is place our faith in the finished work of Christ to go to heaven. We strive to live blameless because that's how God already sees us. Gospel truth motivates gospel living. We've been chosen by the Father. Number two, we've been adopted by the Father. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Now, what does it mean to be adopted practically? Well, it means to have all the rights and privileges that belongs to the father's children. Well, think about it. When a family adopts a child, they don't bring them into their home and give them any less privileges than they do their biological children. If they do, they're not doing it right. I mean, that might happen when you foster kids because of state limitations and all that kind of stuff, but not when you adopt. The beauty and generosity of adoption is that an adopted child gets to enjoy the father's blessings just as if he were one of his. Who's the father's child? Jesus. This is mind-boggling. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Yet when we get saved, we get adopted by the Father, and that means we get to enjoy what the only begotten Son enjoys. Okay, I could go on and preach. All these privileges that He enjoys that we enjoy as God's children, I can give you one. We get to call God Abba. No, Galatians 4 and verse 6 says that we get to call him Abba. That, that is in reference. That's like a, a, a term of affirmation, an endearment to God. One that signifies a very close relationship. You could say in our English language, Dad. It, it's, more, it's more intimate than just Father. It's like calling them Daddy. That's what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14 verse 36 when he was saying, nevertheless not my will with thine be done. Right before he's going to go die for us, but the pain of dying for us was making him not want to die for us for a second. And in his humanity, he was struggling. And what did he choose to call God in that moment? You look it up. He called him Abba. And just like Jesus has that kind of intimate, close relationship with God of the universe, so much so he can call him Daddy. We get to call him that too. But the blessing of adoption isn't just vertical; it's horizontal. Because we have brothers and sisters now. And we are, when we are adopted into God's family upon salvation, we are adopted into a brotherhood and a sisterhood and a wonderful family. And if you aren't blessed with an awesome, close, uh, uh, a great uh, biological family on this earth, I can, I can give you some assurance that you have one better than that. The family of God. What a blessing. He gives us a third blessing we have in the Father. He said we are accepted by the Father. Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Did you know that being accepted is one of man's greatest psychological needs? So much so that you and I will go to extreme measures sometimes to earn the acceptance of somebody we admire. But as Christians, as children of God, adopted and chosen by the Father, listen, there's no need to seek out acceptance from anybody else other than God the Father. We don't have to live to be accepted by man when we've been accepted by the one who created man. Now, how's that possible? Because we are wholly unacceptable in our behavior sometimes. I will submit that. In how we act and how we talk and how we think. Okay, we don't talk, think, and act like Jesus all the time. So how does God accept us that way? Well, he says, I accept you in the beloved. So that means God doesn't accept us because of our prayers and promises. He doesn't accept us because of our resolves and efforts to do good. He doesn't accept us because of our zeal and benevolence. Here's why he accepts us. Because of Jesus, the beloved one. The Apostle John confirms, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath given or bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Is this sinking in? Here's why this is so incredible to me. Because I know me. I know how unholy and sinful I am. I know how much I mess up. I know how much I don't measure up. At least enough to be called a beloved son of God. And to be accepted by God as that. But I'm thankful that God sees me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He looks at me. And you know what He sees when He looks at me? Not Tyler Prater. He sees Jesus Christ. And because He sees Jesus and He accepts Jesus, He accepts me. Incredible. You know what I have to say about that? Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. We've been blessed by the Father. Paul elaborates in verse 7 and 10 when he tells us, we've been blessed by the Son. Look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Here's the first blessing we have in the Son. We've been redeemed by the Son. Now when I speak of being redeemed, we're speaking of the idea of being bought back. Okay, it was often used as, as, as a term in regards to slavery. Something we, we don't know as much about in today's age, praise the Lord, but, but was very common in this day. And somebody would go and redeem a slave or buy back a slave. In this context, we're being redeemed by Christ. That, that means we're being bought out of sin's penalty. We're being bought out of sin's enslaving power. And get this, redemption is never free. It was accomplished by the death of Christ on the cross where he shed his blood. I'm telling you, his death paid the price for our release from sin. It gets even better because we're not just redeemed. We're forgiven by the son. Verse seven, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. To forgive means to give up the right to punish someone for a transgression. Which means that making forgiveness possible was a major accomplishment in God's eyes because it required the sacrifice of blood and the death of His only begotten Son. That's why Paul says it is an act of grace. That He would forgive me. That He would forgive you. is an act of God's grace. Somebody define grace this way. God's riches at Christ's expense. You understand we get God's grace for free but it wasn't free for God to give it to us. If you've been saved today, you are a product of God's grace. You are not a product of good behavior. You're not a product of having a good home. You're not a product of a good church. You're not the product of baptism or benevolence or sacraments. If you're saved today, you are a product of God's rich grace. And I have news for you. He has enough grace to save anybody in this room. Christ, Paul said, it's the riches of his grace. He never runs out. I'm telling you, my God is rich with grace. And he just wants to fork it out today. If you'll come. But his grace doesn't end forgiveness. We have another blessing through his grace in the son. And that's we've been enlightened. Look at verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So God didn't just use His grace to forgive us of our sins and then walk away and leave us to ourselves. He's gracious enough to give us the wisdom and prudence we need to know for how to live life that is pleasing to Him. How does He do that? Through His Word. He enlightened us through His Word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He doesn't just say, do my will. He says, let me show you what my will is. And He gives us wisdom and prudence. The Son enlightens us. My favorite one of all is that the Son gives us an inheritance. Look at verse 9 through 11. If you're still studying with me, say amen. Amen. Look at these verses. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Okay, let let me sum up those verses. He said that he has a purpose and it has to do with the dispensation when the fullness of time will come. That's what we we refer to as the eternal kingdom of God. Now watch this. Right now, our world is divided in two. I'm not talking about what you see on the news. I'm talking about spiritually. We've got those who've accepted Christ and those who have not accepted Christ. They've rejected Christ for whatever reason. They're procrastinating. They just willfully don't believe it. Um, They're duped by Satan into thinking they're saved, but they're not whatever the case might be. We got those who have accepted and those rejected. Here's what the verse says. There will come a time in God's perfect time where where the dispensation of the kingdom will start. It begins with the rapture. At any moment, those that are saved could be raptured out of here, like in five seconds from now. Like it could happen. We're not waiting for anything else in the world to happen. The rapture could happen right now. After the rapture, here's what happens. The day of the Lord, this, this series of events, that is a seven-year tribulation. And, and then Christ will come from earth and he will reign on earth for a thousand years. And after he reigns, reigns on earth for a thousand years, then Satan will be loosed one final time and God will destroy him for good. All his demons cast him into the lake of fire, which by the way, hell was prepared just initially prepared just for Satan. Not for us. But for those who rejected Christ will be cast into the lake of fire as well. And then what will happen is God will bring down the new heaven and new earth. And here's what we have in the sun. We have a reservation. We have an inheritance. If you're saved, you're going to be there. You got nothing to doubt. You got nothing to worry about. If you can go back to a time when someone showed you the gospel, that is you needed a savior because you sinned and you couldn't get yourself to heaven and you trusted in Christ and Christ alone for that. Hey, you got a ticket to heaven. You've got an inheritance. Here's the great thing your reservation was made by Jesus. And when Jesus makes your reservation, nobody steals your seat. It's amazing. Yeah. You've been blessed by the Father, you've been blessed by the Son. In fact, look at the end of verse, look look at verse 12. This is how Paul ends this section that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted. In In other words, Paul had to stop for a second and say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And he says, "You're, you're blessed in one more person in the Godhead. Not just the Father, not just the Son. But you have spiritual blessings in the Spirit. The Spirit. In verses 13 to 14, he gives us two blessings we have in the Spirit. And he starts with this one. We are sealed by the Spirit. I love this. Verse 13. In whom ye also trusted... After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This is one of those phrases in Scripture that you can read and you're like, I would kind of like to know what that means, but I'm not going to look it up. You know what I mean? And so you're going to read it and you say, okay, that means something good, but I don't really know what it means to be sealed. Like a Ziploc bag or what's going on. Well, a seal in that day, Paul used that language because that was a mark of ownership. It was a mark of authenticity. And so they would seal or put a seal upon their cattle. They would put a seal, unfortunately, upon slaves that were branded by their masters. Owners were simply guarding their property from theft by sealing them, by branding them. Now in that day, their seals were external. Our seal, as Christians, is internal. This is just just an analogy, a metaphor to understand that when we got saved, the Holy Spirit came into us and He became our seal. That means we are marked as God's property. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, that means you're not a fake and you're not an imposter. You are forever sealed and under the Spirit's um, protection. Here's the real implication of this verse. Nobody, including yourself, can take your salvation away from you. Nobody can steal it. It is not up for sale. You can't even take it to a pawn shop. You can't give it away if you wanted to. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And if you are in Christ, you are in Christ forever. We call it eternal security. You can never lose your salvation take it to the bank you heard it you can never lose your salvation you know why I'm passionate about that because there are some religions some denominations that teach if you leave their brand if you leave their denomination if you leave their church you fall away from the faith automatically well I'm here to tell you your salvation isn't dependent on a church don't get me wrong the church is important but your salvation is not dependent on Fellowship Baptist Church or any other church for that matter. It's dependent on the Holy Spirit's seal. Amen. And he gives us one more blessing. We're secured by the Spirit. Verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So he used kind of figurative language when he talked about a seal. Now he's going to use figurative language to talk about earnest money. He said the Holy Spirit is our earnest money, if you will. He's our down payment. And this down payment secures our eternity in heaven until we get there. All right, so so Jenny and I just uh, put an offer down on a house a couple months ago. And we signed a contract. And they asked for earnest money. We gave $1,000 of earnest money. Why did we do that? Well, to show the owner of the house that we're serious about buying it and finishing out the transaction until it's complete. Like, our contract isn't, we're not playing games here. We're serious about it. Well, the day you got saved, the Holy Spirit became your earnest. In other words, he put down what was necessary to secure you until that final transaction is made and you receive the complete inheritance that is promised you in heaven. In between the moment you got saved, the moment you take your last breath and go to heaven, there's this huge gap of time. Maybe for some it's 60 years. Maybe for some it's 10 years. Maybe for some it's 80 years. We don't know. However long you live after you get saved, the Holy Spirit blesses you and he has a ministry for you or or through you and in you. And here it is. He secures you until you get to make that final transaction. Until your faith becomes sight, you are safe. Your salvation is safe. Here's why that's encouraging. You don't have to keep it yourself. You don't have to protect your salvation. You don't have to have a checklist you wake up every day with and say, if I don't check this and this and this and this, I don't stay saved. That's nowhere in the Bible. The Holy Spirit secures their salvation. Don't get me wrong. Those that are in Christ are new creatures and old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. I believe that when Christ comes to your life, He makes a change of desire. He makes a change of attitude. He makes a change of how you walk and, 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 and where you go and who you go with. I believe that with all of my heart, but don't feel like for a moment that keeping your salvation is up to your good behavior. Some Christians live that way and so when they have a bad day, they go to bed miserable. Not necessarily because they did a bad thing, but because they think their bad thing sent them to hell. Let's study our Bible this morning. The Holy Spirit says, Nope, not so. God's work on the cross already paid for that sin that you would do. Doesn't make that sin okay? That sin hinders your fellowship with the Father. You need to seek uh, uh, reconciliation in, in, in terms of your fellowship with the Father. You need to come confess that sin. But at the end of the day, that sin will not keep you out of heaven because the earnest has already been paid. Hallelujah to that. Hallelujah. I struggled, church, for years. Believe I was saved. I got saved as a seven-year-old boy. And I struggled all through teenage years. Believing, trying to, trying to figure out, am I saved or am I not saved? And, and a lot of the times, it was dependent upon what I did or didn't do. That is a miserable way to live. And that's why I like Christianity as opposed to other religions, because other religions, they have somewhat of the Bible, but they also put their regulations on it. Well, you've got to come do this. And if you don't take communion, then your sins aren't washed away. And if you don't get baptized, your sins aren't washed away. And if you ever leave this church, you lose it. And I could go on and on and on. You've got to read this book and you've got you to go on this missionary journey for a certain amount of months. That's not what the Bible teaches, friend. And aren't you thankful that's not what the Bible teaches? Amen. That we get to serve God and worship God and live for God out of a heart of love for Him. Not out of a sense of if I don't do this, I lose my salvation. That is grace. That is the gospel. Yeah. And notice how Paul ended verse 14. Unto the praise of His I mean, when you consider all these blessings that you get to experience when you get saved, you've been chosen, adopted, and accepted by the Father. Redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and given an inheritance by the Son. Then sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. When you consider that resume of blessings, which by the way, you didn't have to pay a thing for. They were free. What else is there to say? But praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's why Paul said, "Your salvation is not of works, lest you should boast. Paul was so over, uh, overflowed with praise because he knew he did nothing to get those things. And you didn't either. What else is there to sing this morning? But praise the Father? Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings to end the message and ask our band to take their place ask for the mic to come. And we're going to sing that song again. And now we're going to sing it after being informed by the truths of Ephesians 1. Oh, you sang it real good before the message. But after being reminded of the spiritual blessings you have, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, I think you ought to sing it even better. And after we get done singing, I want you to stay standing. I'm going to come and I'm going to offer an invitation, a way that we can respond in prayer to God as a church. Would you stand to your feet and sing this song to me?